Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And today we're going to be looking at some more of your voicemails. So welcome back to another voicemail episode and our first voicemail is from BJ of the Arcane Alienist podcast. So take it away, BJ. Hey guys, just, I just finished your uh, Merfolk episode and you were talking about the uh, the artwork in the 5th edition players or monster manual with the, the weird... Uh, chest bra whatever she's got but you guys are uh, about whether merfolk would have memories or not you've kind of bumped into a, a raging debate that's been going on since fourth edition as to why do female dragonborn have uh have breasts um you know since they're supposed to be reptiles i guess it kind of speaks to the long tradition of, of kind of the style of fantasy art of statuesque females scantily clad and uh, regardless of their species or their genetics so but yeah good episode on the merfolk um, really enjoying these 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 Monster Friday things you're doing. So keep it up. Hi again, BJ. Um, yeah, we did sort of sidestep that whole thing, but I suppose it, what it comes down to is people like looking at boobs. I yeah, like looking much. at boobs. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, if I'm drawing a character that's a female character, I'm gonna stick some big boobs on her. But that's because I like drawing a character with big boobs. Because I like looking at big boobs. I also understand that people who don't have big boobs might not want big boobs on all the characters, and that it doesn't make any sense for Merfolk or Dragonkin to have them. I should point out, <laughs> by the way, that this episode is sponsored by the phrase "big boobs." Boobs. And it, yeah, I, I think let's face it, this is by far and away not the only time that sort of realism takes a back seat to like fantasy and sort of people's preferences in like yeah. role playing games. I mean, if you analyse D and D at like a really sort of like super realistic level, a lot of it's pretty silly. Does that make it less enjoyable? No, of course it doesn't. But sometimes I think we run the risk of like analysing yeah. these things too much. But I think overall we were just trying to say that the fifth head artwork looks a bit odd. Well yeah, it was the upper and the downer that was so strange on it. That yeah. was what was doing my I head t- in. It t- just looked so uncomfortable. Tell you what it always reminds me of. You know those old like Greek legends about the Amazons where like they used to lop off one of their breasts <laughs> so they could like pull their, draw their arrows, yeah. the bows and arrows quicker. It reminded me of that because there was almost like one was missing and then one looked like a fully developed breast <laughs> to me. But anyway, before we go off into like boob-laced flights of fancy. Yeah, you had to do a lot of editing on this last time. Yeah, but I probably won't this time, but let's see how who's called in with our next call. And with any luck, it's not about boobs. But in all seriousness, BJ, thank you very much for your call. We do very much appreciate it. Now let's go on to our next one. Hey, John and Hannah, this is Randy uh, from Biggest Geekus. Just listened to your Quartermaster podcast. Was most excellent. I really enjoyed it. It's intriguing when I think about keeping track of group coins and stuff. That's actually not something my group ever did for years. Um, it was all individual. Now, of course, we were younger and people were more greedy, I guess, was the idea about their own character, not other characters. We never had a fun for raising the dead. It was pretty weird. I mean, if I can talk about that, some of the stuff, the dumb stuff the group did, I don't know what it was. And again, I was the DM 99% of the time, so I'm talking more about the players. I think having a quartermaster, even if it's just a title that a player has and is kind of this NPC that takes care of things in the game, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I really liked that um, 
podcast a lot. I think it brings up some questions on what things do you do differently now than what you used to do when you were young? I mean, like, you know, how much has, have you quote unquote, I guess, grown is the idea. I don't know if grown's the right word, but changed. We still don't do much of that. Even when we play, no one talks about being the guy that keeps track of things other than someone might do it, though it's not officially a group pot uh, of stuff. Um, but sometimes they toyed with it, but I haven't seen a lot of it in my games. Maybe we're just backwards here. I don't know. Anyway, keep up the good work and talk to you guys later. Thanks very much, Randy. That was, of course, Randy of the Biggest Geekest Podcast, one of my personal favourites. Part one half of the dynamic duo of Randy and Joe who present that. And yeah, I see what you're saying, Randy, about the idea of the quartermaster and as we said in the episode it very much comes down as to whether it's an in-character sort of role that someone's taking their character is taking on or whether it's someone something someone's doing out of character just to add to the convenience and the speed of the game as it progresses we're also very interested here when you were talking about you know what things you do differently and how your games have changed sort of from when you started mm-hmm. up to present day and we may think about doing an episode about that in the future where myself and Hannah are going to look back at that yeah so thank you very much for giving us that idea and keep an ear out for that episode soon but I think Randy's got a little bit more to say on the subject. When I say we d- we don't really do it, what I mean is like one player might be the guy like currently in my Savage Worlds game, my friend Patrick, he keeps track of, I think he does, he keeps track of the gear that everybody finds, the money, uh, magic items, running a fantasy game. But it's not like he's like an official quartermaster, but they're usually glad somebody does. And he, No, Joe. I think Joe's actually doing it, believe it or not. So... But it's not like an official thing, and they haven't talked about official group funds, but it may come up. This is an interesting group, a new group that I think, uh, not new, but uh, we're kind of forging into new waters, I think. It's an interesting group I've been playing with quite a bit now and very much enjoy it. We mentioned once or twice on our podcast about Savage World's fantasy game. Um, but anyway, uh, really love the Quartermaster podcast. I just wanted to mention that again. Keep up the good work. Talk to you later. Thanks again there, Randy. And while we were listening to that response, you were saying, love, that you thought it seemed like sort of <laughs> yeah. unionising your D&D group. <laughs> yeah, not not to bring the sort of politics into the podcast too much. Um, but yeah, it hadn't really occurred to me that we're introducing this idea of, oh yeah, everybody paying into one pool. So like a that cooperative. You're working as a cooperative for your group. And it might be quite interesting to explore a world where you have that as a larger concept, that there are many of these cooperatives and perhaps you've got adventurers that are members of different cooperatives and they have to like do different stuff or follow different missions or whatever to be able to please both of the groups effectively. Yeah, and I mean, I think to a certain extent that's... To a lesser extent, that's always existed in D and D. Because obviously, the the adventuring parties are a lot guilds and thing. stuff, guilds and stuff like that. I mean, I know um, Glenn Hellstrom, old man Grognard. He talks a bit in his podcast about his campaign, where there literally is like an adventuring sort of organization that like retains these people and you know make sure you're equipped, but they expect a cut of any wealth you gain and you get access to their resources like sending stones and like teleportation circles and stuff like that so whilst i think it's not for every D world i think you're right it would be an interesting experiment to try and make a D world that had that sort of taken into account from the start 
Well, thank you very much for that call, Randy, and let's move on to our next one. Hey, John and Hannah, it's Che from Roleplay Rescue. Just wanted to call in and thank you for your episode about um, why you should include a spaceship or a giant robot in your D&D game. And listen to that on the way home from work today, and it really made smile. It's great to hear. And yeah, it's exactly what I've been thinking about doing in my own game, to be honest with you. I'm not playing D&D, but I'm playing in a fantasy game, and I just really wanted to mix it up with you know, some of that alien stuff. Um, wanted to say there's a brilliant supplement out there that I got about including high weirdness, which is that kind of, the stuff that feels like the alien abduction sort of uh, trope stuff from our modern culture. And I used that in a game of old school essentials in Dolmenwood to great effect. You know, lights in the sky, apparent spaceships coming down and landing nearby. And what I was trying to do is to see if the players bit. If they bit, we could go down that route. And if they didn't, it didn't matter. Anyway, just want to say thank you for that. Cheers. Bye. Thanks very much, Che. And Che actually sent me a message to let me know that the supplement he was talking about in that call was a zine called What Happened at Wyvern Rock. And now I've had a bit of a look online, and unfortunately it's no longer available. It was like a Kickstarter-only thing. And trying to get hold of a copy, it seems to be like rare as Wyvern itself. But um, I'm still investigating whether I can get hold of a copy of that. And... uh, Jason Conley of the Nerds RPG of Ridecast, who said he's got a copy that he doesn't use, said he might be able to send that over to me. So hopefully I'll be able to see that. But yeah, I love the idea of a sort of X-Files meets D&D mashup. Mm-hmm. And again, as we say with a lot of these things, you know, not for like every campaign, but you know, just as a bit of a change of pace, as Che was saying in his calling, sometimes it's nice to shake things up or drop a few extra elements in there. Just so, as Che rightly said, you can drop something like that in there as a bit of a mystery. If the players really aren't interested, you don't have to make anything more of it. It can stay as a mystery. But if they do, you can then delve a little bit more deeply into that. So I think you're absolutely right, Che. Thank you very much for your calling. And speaking of robots and machines taking over the world, I think we've got one invading our den itself. I think it's the Goblin Henchman 3000-a-tron. This is ASCII 1101101101. Please do not bring your filthy fantasy into my pristine spaceship. Thank you. Broadswords and broadband is not a thing. Bye. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to recant and say that no, you shouldn't mix fantasy and sci-fi. And it definitely has nothing to do with a large robot stood next to me holding a laser cannon pointed at my head. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. And our final call-in for this episode is from Jason Connolly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast podcast. Take it away, Jason. Hey, Hannah and John. Jason here. Really enjoyed the Merfolk episode. Back and forth between you two guys is great. Really enjoy the dynamic you have. And some great ideas there. So, you, you know, it, I, I don't know. If you're going to have Merfolk as a player character, I think that's when you want to do that pirate campaign, right? I think it could definitely be useful in a pirate campaign. Um, on a, like John said, a land-based campaign, maybe not so much. Anyhow, great episode. Look forward to your next. Thanks very much, Jason. Yeah, I think as Hannah and myself were saying in the episode, it could be difficult to have that sort of aquatic player character in a more land-based campaign. I've actually got a 5th edition supplement, Seas of Vidari, which has a lot of aquatic stuff in it, but that is a pirate campaign built around the fact you'll normally be at sea, so it sort of takes it into account. However, if you do want to play the fish-out-of-water player character, yeah, 
there's not much more fish out of water that you can be than, than if you're literally a merfolk who's had to go onto land. Yeah. Anyway, we're glad you enjoyed the episode, Jason, and thank you very much for your call in. So that's the last of the call-ins. However, we also received an email from Wayne Peacock, who said, Hi, I've been a fan since the OG Fate Explainer episodes, which are on my YouTube channel. I've really enjoyed the recent episode of Monsters from Mythology and Fables, such as Hags and Jenny Greenteeth, etc. While I love these old tales, Hannah's comments on their likely origin due to possible fear and prejudice of old women was well taken and very kindly wayne who has recently started an ose zine called old scroll has sent us a pdf copy of the first edition well the first edition the first issue of it and it's called red wolf's tomb and it's Mm -hmm. like a, a little adventure and it's got a lovely looking map on the front cover so the inside cover and all your monsters that you could want and the sort of breakdown and some new magic items etc i'm planning to if i get time do like a sort of a little bit more of a detailed review of this but i've had a flick through it and it looks very interesting indeed and the layout looks extremely clear and precise modeled obviously on the sort of old school essentials style of thing i think correct me if i'm wrong wayne but just to say thank you very much for your email and for sending us this pdf across it's very much appreciated and hopefully once i've had a bit of a chance to sit down and read through it thoroughly because work's unfortunately been a bit manic at the minute i'll be able to do a slightly more detailed review of that but again thank you very much it's greatly appreciated so that's it for this voicemail episode. If you'd like to get in touch with us and maybe be featured in a future episode like this, you can do so in a couple of different ways. You can leave us a voicemail, either using SpeakPipe or our old Anchor account. Links to both of those in the description. Or you can send us an email, like Wayne did, to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and whenever you're playing, have fun. Bye. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,